0: Hello, everyone, welcome to another episode of Friends Missing Friends. Today is going to be a little different. Instead of me interviewing someone else, my friend Jamie is interviewing me. I thought it would be fun to flip the script a bit. And yes, it is the same Jamie who I interviewed previously and who I met over Zoom in 2021 during the pandemic. Definitely go back and listen to that episode, it's super fun. So, today you'll learn a bit more about my story, why I started this podcast, and one of the biggest questions that I've been struggling with through my grief after my friend Lauren's death, which is, was our friendship even real? So, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jamie.
1: To get us started, I'm wondering if you can share with us um, the premise behind Friends Missing Friends um, for those that might not have heard the backstory just yet.
0: Yeah, so the premise behind Friends Missing Friends is several years ago, I lost a really, really, really close friend. She passed away suddenly. And I really struggled to find a sense of community within that grief. I think deep down, I didn't even realize it, but I wanted to find peers, other people, whether or not they were my age, I would have liked some of them to be my age, um, who had gone through a similar experience, a similar loss. Um, And in my experience at grief groups... Uh, no one else there had lost a friend and it did feel a bit isolating. And so my whole goal was to create a community of people who are grieving and missing friends, which is, and we're all friends too, which is why it's called friends, missing friends. Cause I want to be friends with all of you, <laughs> with everyone. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's kind of was the idea behind it. And It's going to start with this podcast and I have these grand visions of what it can grow into and the grand visions are very overwhelming, but I'm going to take it one tiny baby step at a time.
1: Baby tiny steps. You know, I think what I hear you saying, right, and what I know of your experience so far has been that you you basically found, found in your own experience of what you were going through a gap for support that you were looking for that you didn't find in the world. Did you feel like an unmet need or did you feel like you were doing a comparison of like, well, I miss my friend, but she wasn't my daughter and she wasn't my sister. And so like there was almost like a um, invalidation of the amount of grief because of your connection or your association.
0: Oh my gosh. absolutely, freaking And (laughs) You're... you're... I just like I can't say absolutely enough because that was one of my biggest struggles and my grief was I Mm. was invalidating my own grief without even realizing it subconsciously and I think a lot of it was because of subliminal messages that the world was sending me which was that friends are not as important as family and romantic partners Mm. and not even just in grief but just in general. Right? Like, growing up, I was taught by mostly, like, the media and movies and TV and things like that, that finding a husband was one of the most important things I'll ever do in my life. Um, And that man will complete me because I will be incomplete without him. Mm. And... Yeah, so messages like that and not getting the same messages about friends and not having as many movies and TV shows that revolve around a deep friendship. There's been a lot more lately, but growing up, there weren't as many, I don't think. A lot of it was romance. Um, And that just kind of subliminally taught me this is not as important. So because of that, my grief wasn't as important.
1: Mm.
0: And especially in American society, I don't, I can't really speak to other societies because I don't know, but I do think that our grief, um, our grief traditions of, you know, funerals and memorial services and funerals and memorial services and everything do revolve around the family and the romantic partner and I'm not saying that that's wrong like that makes sense it does and that you know they would sit in the front and they would plan it and everything and it's like and because I'm learning that two things can be true right that there's nothing wrong with that and where can I put my grief where where do Mm -hmm. I fit in here um Do I even own my grief? Am I allowed to talk about it as openly as the family members are talking about it? Or does that step on them in some way? Does that cross some boundary? Um, And I've talked to a lot of people who feel the same way. They were scared to kind of express their grief fully because they didn't know what boundaries they'd be crossing. So I'm trying to kind of figure out a good balance because... I don't want to in any way diminish the importance of friends and romantic partners because they are incredibly important. But I also want to find a space or like a community where friends can also feel like they're able to fully express themselves and their love for their friend without being scared that they're not allowed to. So that's something I'm still grappling with. and, And I found out I'm not the only one who's grappling with that. So even just realizing that I'm not the only one has been huge.
1: I feel like that must be so validating. And I, I think it, it it makes a lot of sense, right? That it's very, um, in physics, we call like the first thought that you come to a lizard brain. And mm-hmm. um, like your lizard brain tells you, you know, things about angular velocity and things like that that are not part of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but my point there, right, is that big idea about... Um, Things being not mutually exclusive, right? That two things right. can be true at the same time mm-hmm. and they don't diminish one another. They're just both true. Yeah. Um, I think that that is so huge. And it, it, like, it just, I hope it extends. Has it extended for you more grace in, oh, yeah. in the process of what it is, what what grief is, and what moving through grief is?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of surprised at myself. I'm now 30. I'm just now really being able to hold two Mm -hmm. things (laughs) at once and accepting that two things can be true without canceling each other out. Yeah. I'm like just learning that. It's kind of blows my mind that it took me that long. But yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. I I think the other piece that you kind of called, right, is I think that there's or you alluded to is there's also this. I will say the American message that we receive about grief and processing it, and um, I'm not an expert, but in my own experience and in observing it in my life, I, I definitely can can share that it's it's complex, right? In how how mm-hmm. people roll through their emotions and those chemical processes that are happening inside their bodies, um, and whether they are processing it or shoving it down, right? It all manifests for us differently. And Mm -hmm. I, I think I always picture that like, I don't know, the Instagram post or the pictorial, right? The visual of grief being a cycle. And at least in my own experience, um, it has never looked like here's the stages and it's linear, right? It's a, I don't know, a tumbleweed of, tumbleweed meets spaghetti meets like (laughs) bad hair day meets like it is it is like just a shitstorm, right like you're up Uh you're down you're sideways it's horrible you're doing better like six months later you're at day one like it's just can you speak a little bit about um what your grief looked like and how how it is that you started to negotiate and process through it
0: yeah yeah oh my gosh so that was another thing I learned recently: is that the stages
1: are not really true. Um, and doing like some research... who came up with that? Like that's such a shit. Like here's stage one. <laughs> like like it's very like straightforward and not messy. Yeah. So actually, I from what I
0: researched, the woman who came up with it, Elizabeth Kubler Ross, sorry,
1: not even Elizabeth Kubler int- Ross. <laughs> she didn't. even You oversimplified them. it for me. Sorry.
0: <laughs> they were been misinterpreted over the years mm. so she did not even intend them to be about grief those five stages were about patients who were dying from terminal illness and they became wow. misinterpreted over the years and are now being spouted as five stages of grief and from what i've read she was like no 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 like that's not right and like regretted how horribly they've been misconstrued but now it's too late it's in the zeitgeist whoa isn't that crazy
1: That just blew my mind. I hope everybody that listens to your podcast hears that and has so much (laughs) love for themselves that the stages are crap. Yeah. Well, not necessarily the stages. I think the order and the timeline and the duration and just maybe some of the expectations and pressure that we put on ourselves for where we're supposed to be in the process.
0: Exactly. Yeah, the expectations that we're doing it wrong. Or that oh my gosh, like, why am I not following the stages? Ah, um, it's kind of like I've come to, to believe if it works for someone and it comforts them and helps them, like, use it, you know. But if it makes you feel like you're doing it wrong, throw it out the window, forget it.
1: losing this dear friend of yours that it was sudden um, do you do you think I find that there's kind of this play that we have with some of our loved ones or our dear ones right of if I had more time then it would have been sentenced them right or if I if it hadn't been drawn out then it would have been um, sentenced stem. Do you find for your own experience of what prompted friends, missing friends, um, that the suddenness was helpful or part of what was so difficult?
0: That's a great question. So because I don't have experience with a friend dying over time, I can't really speak to that. I'm sure that that is horrific in its own completely unique way. But I can speak to a sudden disappearance, and it's horrible. It's horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, For all the reasons you think. Like, you you don't get a chance to say goodbye. You're shocked. It, It kind of racks your nervous system in a way that made me unsteady for months, maybe years. And made me scared that something else bad was going to happen like all of a sudden I I believed that anything horrible like my worst nightmare could happen any second of any day mm. um, which is a really scary way to move through the world and also in very specific ways I felt that for example <sighs> Um, she died on her birthday Mm. and without even realizing it, even though the connection seems like it would be so obvious, every time it was someone's birthday, I was in the back of my head scared they were going to die. And there was one day where it was my sister's birthday a few years after my friend had passed and I texted my sister happy birthday and she didn't respond for hours because she was really busy. And I started panicking and I didn't know why mm. I was panicking because I didn't put two and two together yet and then at the end of the day she finally called me and I just burst into tears because I was so relieved she was alive mm. and it wasn't until I heard her voice and was relieved that I was like oh my god Like that's why I was so panicked I thought that she was dead and when I told her that she was kind of like what? <laughs> why would you think I'm dead? Like That makes no sense because it's a connection that seems so strange unless you kind of know where it comes from or kind of put two and two together so that's another thing um I've also recently learned about ambiguous loss which is most extreme and most common in people where someone's disappeared or their body is missing or You know, where it's much more ambiguous and not quite as final. So I did not feel it in that kind of extreme sense, by any means. But Mm. it was still a bit ambiguous in that it felt like a disappearance from the Earth. Because I never saw her body. I... It was just like she was there and then I was told that she wasn't. It was people telling me she was dead. It was me going to a funeral, seeing a closed coffin and being told she was inside of it. It was like not really having the direct proof that my brain so desperately wanted because I didn't want it to believe that it was true. And so for months and months and months, my brain was still just trying to make sense of it. And I would have these recurring dreams of finding her alive um, because that's, it, it was just a way for my brain to kind of figure it all out because it still didn't 100% believe it for a while. And it instead of really believing it, it was like it slowly sunk in over a really long period of time, which was just horrible. <laughs> I, I
1: don't know what other word to use to describe it. It was horrible. I think regardless of our experience, what I think is um, pretty captivating and pretty powerful is that our bodies are always trying to protect us, right? So I, I think it's fascinating mm-hmm. that in that intake of information and data, um, unconsciously or consciously, um, there are warnings and triggers and things that it is doing to try and keep you safe. Like, oh no, it's a birthday, right? Sound the alarm. Mm
0: -hmm. So I
1: I think that that makes so much, so much sense. I also think that it's, um, sometimes I'm, I'm pretty astounded by how sophisticated, um, our mechanics and systems are for how it's trying to protect us. And I think sometimes the way that it gives us information to process is, um, helpful or not. It's just, um, it's amazing to me. And I think grief is not an exception to that. Yeah,
0: it's so true. And it's just like how the, how the body and mind respond to trauma. It's Mm -hmm. trying to protect us, even if it ends up hurting us in different ways. It's
1: pretty crazy. Right. Um, so on that, Hannah, could you share with us, um, what you feel like you've learned about moving through grief? based on this experience or based on, you know, what you've learned before and since?
0: One thing that I've learned actually, and I think this is because I've had distance just from time, Mm. is I am now kind of able to extend compassion to people who really pissed me off when I was grieving Mm. (laughs) because they said really hurtful things or did things that were very hurtful unintentionally and as incredibly frustrating as that is (sighs) it's so frustrating Um, I'm able to see it from a different perspective and extend compassion to them and also extend compassion to myself Mm. for getting so upset because it makes sense that I would get upset and I don't want to be mad at myself for Maybe not fully seeing the whole picture, you know, back then. Of course I wouldn't. Um, so, yeah, a lot of, like, just having compassion for kind of everyone involved. Um, because we're not taught what to say or what to do. So no wonder
1: everyone, almost everyone does
0: it in a way that's not Yeah. Helpful,
1: so you know? this is juicy, right? Because you have the... you. Somebody passed for you or you passed for them. um, Would you be willing to share with us for you and your experience, what were the things folks said or phrases people said that for you were really triggering or unhelpful?
0: I found that on the Instagram accounts I follow, there's a lot of the same phrases that a lot of people find upsetting. Um, Mm. One is like, um, oh, everything happens for a reason. And I'm like, so she died for a reason? Like, what reason would that be? You know, like, no. <laughs> it's just very, very upsetting to hear that. Also, like, oh, God wanted another angel. Don't even get me started. Um. And anything that's trying to kind of put a positive spin on it um like oh but you had so many great years with her like a lot of people don't get that much time with someone or um. a lot of people don't have a friend that close and i'm like i don't care like that's not what i'm focused on right now <laughs> um and it, a lot of it because i've read the because of the book, um, It's Okay That You're Not Okay, which mm. everyone needs to read. It's amazing. Um, by Megan Devine. She talks about how what we really need and want is just for someone to fully acknowledge how horrible this is. And all the things I mentioned are doing the opposite of that, which I think is why they're so incredibly incredibly upsetting. They're negating the reality of how horrible this is, which makes me feel invalidated and like I'm not being seen. I'm not being respected. I'm not being heard. And that you're kind of gaslighting the reality. I'm being gaslighting. And yourself.
1: Yeah. Right? Of like what we said earlier about like your experience isn't as bad as if it was your sister or your brother or your kid or whoever.
0: my gosh. Yeah. I gaslit myself too.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like external, but then also internal. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Coming from all directions. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, on the flip side of that, um, were there things that you found comforting? You alluded to the, um, acknowledgement, right. And I will say maybe acknowledgement and not one upping of like, oh, the time when I lost so-and-so, um, I'll say it that way. Were there were there other phrases that you found helpful um, that, that you might recommend or you would use if there was somebody in your life that, that lost a loved one?
0: Yeah, I actually, there was only one thing I wanted to hear. And it was amazing how often I did not hear it. Mm. And it was just, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry this happened. Mm. that's all I wanted to hear. Mm. and the majority of people did not say that, and it's like i i I don't think I would have known that before I went through this i I'm sure I've said incredibly hurtful things in the past that I don't even remember, but now I know that that's all i that's what I should say um. Yeah, I mean, that's the main thing I'm, that I really wanted.
1: I'm wondering, and I'm curious, is the it inadvertent it dismissing of feelings is part of that, do you attribute that, or would you attribute that, or a contributing factor as people being, people not being able to handle the discomfort that comes with seeing somebody else's grief, right? Like it kind of seems like it's about them not wanting to be uncomfortable with how much grief that you have. Well, what would you, how would you attribute?
0: No, I think that that makes sense. And, um, mm. yeah, also it's, it comforts them too. And I totally understand that. Like, it's hard to acknowledge the reality of something horrible. It's hard for, for anyone. And some people can't do that or or don't want to, or, or they're not in a mental or emotional place for that. Um, And I think that that's definitely part of it for sure.
1: I think I'm curious too, if now I I have also an American bias, right? So I'm, I'm curious if it is more like first world American that we're so uncomfortable with the idea of grief and death, um, and just being able to negotiate and sit in that, right? Like I think, um, my observation is that we're here for the party and the celebrations, but I think (laughs) that there's not quite that in the duality of life, right? Like there is also the darkness and the night of things. And I think, um, My observation is that um, Americans, we Americans have a very hard time sitting in the grief. Now, if you do have the courage to be sitting in your own, I don't know that a lot of folks have the tools to go into somebody's hole while they're in grief and sit there with them and not fix and not like comfort and dismiss and not the things, right? Just hold their hand in the hole of grief and say, I'm so sorry, right? I, I, I just, I'm not sure that we do that very well.
0: I agree we don't and one reason why I've learned to have so much compassion is because of situations where I've done that and I see how hard Mm. it can be sometimes. Um, Because it's really really scary to see someone you love in deep deep pain. Um, And sitting there with them can be really hard. Um, But When it happens, it's very, very
1: healing. Did you ever get frustrated with your perceived time frame of how long it was taking for you to get through it?
0: Yes. (laughs) And I think other people perceived me as taking a long time as well. Um, Mm. Because, you know, the world says that that is a long time. I don't think it's anyone who has uh, incorrect feelings about it. I think it's just the way the world sees it right now. Um, Or at least American society. Is that like, after a certain amount of time, like you're stuck. Right? Like, why aren't you moving on? Um, And that was frustrating for me because I felt like I was doing it wrong. um, And I felt like... I was overreacting, which is so (laughs) ridiculous to say that out loud, because what happened was absolutely horrible. It's Mm. like, I would never tell, I don't think, at least I hope I wouldn't tell someone that they were overreacting if they were completely devastated after something so horrible happened. So why couldn't I extend myself that same compassion? I don't know. Yeah. And no one was telling me I was overreacting. It was just myself. (laughs) I was just telling
1: that to myself right i think we have um we've talked about this before um but one of the paradigm shifts for me with grief was um thinking about the grief in your body um like a chemical reaction and um gosh there is a book that that alludes to this that i can't think of at the top of my head it is basically about um research that dictates that if you don't process through your grief, that it stays in your body, right, and mm-hmm. it um, contributes to just all these different things that you don't think that it would. And um, what I got out of it is it made me think of like the reaction needs to proceed, right? So kind of like the the saddest classical music, or like the you know just the things that you know are somber and still happen in nature, or somber and still happen. Specifically in music, it always makes me think of classical music. Um, Mm -hmm. Just the real deep, dark, like, icky chords together type stuff. (laughs) You're like, that doesn't even sound good. Um, That if they don't proceed, right, if you don't finish the song, if you don't move through the movement of it, you can't get over it. You can't Mm -hmm. get through it. And it just makes me think of how many people are hurt in the world that are hurting others because they can't acknowledge their hurt or they can't move through their hurt because they won't let it come up enough to just go through it.
0: That's so true. Um, And I can pinpoint the exact day that I was able to move it through my body. And it was when I wrote and performed a one-woman show about my friend and my grief and actually being witnessed fully witnessed with full attention for the first time because i think when you're performing people have to watch you and listen (laughs) um so i felt fully witnessed for the first time and I was able to express things that I didn't have words for earlier Mm -hmm. I was able to cry like bitterly cry on stage not acting like actually cry and be witnessed in that and because it was a play that I wrote it was a journey from A to B to C So, like, was able to move through my body and out and be witnessed by other people. Mm. Which was, like, just the magic combination. And after I did the play, I realized it was Lauren's birthday. I didn't didn't even realize that until after I did it. I, like, checked the date or something and I was like... (gasps) Like, my whole body just, like... Ding! Like, I was so shocked. I was like... Of all the days of the year, it happened to be scheduled on her, like, I was like, that's, that just felt really significant. And serendipitous and all those, synchronicitous, all those words. And then even that was healing on top of everything else. So it was like, all these amazing things came together on July 19th, 2020.
1: I get this like vision of self, right? Like of like ointment that you put on like a wound. Um, that's amazing. I I love that for you. And I, I think, um, I hope folks can extrapolate the acting or doing something that helps move through it. Um, wow, that's amazing. Um, I, I want to tack on Um I think your courage and bravery to, to go through it, to move through it, to then talk about and create through it. Right. Um, it's fabulous that it led you, um, as an outlet for some of your acting. Um, I also believe it led to a book. Yes. Can you share a little bit about that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, -hmm. share a bit about what that process has been like if you would with us and, um, both on the writing side, the publishing side, um, and then even the cathartic side of how that has been a part of your healing process.
0: Oh my gosh, in so many ways. So I've always wanted to write a book. I've always loved to write. Um, I kind of put that dream aside for a while. And then I wrote the play and that gave me a lot of confidence that I was able to Mm -hmm. write and complete something. And I was like, okay, I was able to write and complete a play. Maybe I can write and complete a book and use the play as, like, inspiration or, or scaffolding. Mm. And, I mean, without that self-confidence in the beginning, I think I, I would have really struggled to begin. Because beginning is always the hardest, I think. Um, But I took a lot of the stories and structure that I had in the play and used that to start the book. And writing the book has been so healing. Um, Mm. I've gone through many, many drafts. I don't even know how many at this point. I mean, I save it as a new document every time I edit it, so I have, like, 500 drafts, but I don't think that those count. <laughs> um, they count. I, it all counts <laughs> part
1: of the process. Like,
0: I'm always like, I might want to go back to the previous one, and I get all, like, anxious about that. But I have many drafts, and each draft has been so different and that I'm, like, discovering new things. I've, like, made realizations as I've written, like... I made one recently, actually, and that was that one of the main questions I've been struggling with over the course of my grief is, was what we had real? Was the friendship that I had with her real, or was it all in my head in that Mm. I made it more important after her death because of my grief? And... It was like I was looking for proof. I was always looking for proof. And, you know, there was quote unquote proof everywhere, but nothing was enough, right? You know, at the funeral, Mm. there were pictures of me with her. That wasn't enough proof. Lauren's mother gave me a hug and said, Thank you for being so special to Lauren. That wasn't enough proof for me. I was invited to their house and allowed to go into her bedroom and look through her stuff. That wasn't enough proof. Like, her parents welcomed me with open arms, fully acknowledged our friendship. And that wasn't enough. Um, and I had a letter that Lauren wrote me that said how much she loved me. That wasn't enough. Because I told myself, oh, she wrote that years ago. You know, I dismissed Mm it. Um, So it was like nothing um, fulfilled that proof. And it made me think, what is it that I'm looking for? And I think what I realized recently as I was writing um, was the proof is just her. The -hmm. proof is her living and breathing. Because when she was alive... um, It was a reciprocal relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Like, love went both ways. And this is true when anyone passes away. It can feel like all of a sudden the love is just going one way. It's just us into the abyss. And after a while of of that, sometimes you can start to feel like you're going crazy.
1: Mm.
0: Or that you're obsessive or stuck in grief or whatever it is but it's only because that quote unquote proof is is gone and now that I finally know the answer to what I've been searching for which is her I've been searching for her and I can't find her living and breathing because she's dead so I'm going to have to find another way to find peace with it and i think that that's just going to continue to be a journey that i take thanks for listening friends missing friends is produced by me hannah rumsey with co-producer sydney bauer original music is by eric siegling featuring the lost wayne artwork is by heidi james If you have a moment, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Together, we can cherish and remember the friends we miss. I'll see you soon.